Welcome to the Haber Show. I'm Tom Haberstro. Over there, as always, is Amin El Hassan from the Lebetard Show. And we got an amazing guest today, uh, the coach of the Charlotte Hornets, James Borrego. What's going on, JB? What's going on? We're doing all right. Got games canceling, virus testing, but uh, we carry on. I'm doing well. Family's good. Uh, it's an odd time for all of us, but hey, we're playing basketball. I'm healthy. I live in a great city. Uh, it's not bad. Not bad. Get to put them through training camp, coach, all over again. You got five days of practice. <laughs> I know. What, what is today? A January training camp, right? I don't even know. what. It's so odd right now. We just finished, you know, MLK Day yesterday, and now we get training camp all over again. So uh, here we go. Five days off. We'll try to get better. But uh, you just have to adjust and adapt. As you guys know, that's the key this season. You just have to adjust, adapt, you know, live on the fly. Try to listen to your guys, too. I'm listening to them, making sure they're, they're you know, they have what they need, their bodies, their minds, because they're going through a lot, too. You know, everybody is. So you have the Go youngest, ahead. one of the youngest teams in the league. I think sixth youngest average age. Gordon Hayward is the wily vet on the team when he's, you know, 30 years old. I mean, do you know how old Bismack is? <laughs> oh, man, that's a good question. Uh, all right, so hold on. He came out in like 2012, right? 2011 or 2012. He was 19 then, which was about 10. So he's 29. Yeah, he's, he's right? Right. I think he's 28, 29 years old. He, he takes the Kendrick Perkins uh, throne of the youngest <laughs> old guy in the league. Like he's, <laughs> I'm stunned that he's 28. <laughs> Now, you know, the, I, I always do it, uh, Tom, by just trying to remember what draft year they were. If I can remember what draft year they were, I'll figure out their age within, like, you know, a year, give or take. But, yeah, no, he does look old. He does look – he's always looked old, though. And even when he came in the league, he looked like someone who would lived, you know? Did you guys check his birth certificate? I think one of us better check it, you know? I don't know. We'll see. But <laughs> yeah. he, he, he does he, – he feel he's an old soul to me, too, guys. I mean, he's an old soul. And, like, he – the funniest thing, so coming into free agency, I wasn't sure we were going to get, bring Biz back, you know, and we were looking for a veteran. Obviously, when you draft LaMelo, you're thinking, let's wrap him up with a point guard, right? A veteran point guard that he could learn from, someone that could mentor him. And the guy that, through all that, we, we settled on was Bismack Biombo bringing him back. You know, the leader, the locker room guy. And the two of them have just hit it off. I mean, it is like, I would have never imagined this sort of mentorship, marriage. Yeah. They, they call each other, they call each other nephews now. They're like little nephews, you know, they call each other nephews. So um, I didn't see it coming, but, but Biz has that way about him. If you haven't, I didn't know much about him when we got him, but he's just an old soul. People gravitate to him. He's a wonderful person. That is, that is weird, right? You know, you rarely see the vet, rookie relationship be a point guard and a center it's usually someone who's plays yeah. your position i i remember right. for uh for instance jared dudley's vet was uh was jason richardson right different mm -hmm. types of players but they're both wings they're both going to go through the same kind of when we split up to you know bigs and littles in practice they're going to be in the same grouping so the idea of the center yeah. and the point guard being kind of on the same uh being that really that is weird that doesn't happen too often yeah, I didn't see that coming. I really didn't. I mean, I, you know, as I talked to Mitch about the roster and what we needed for LaMelo, because it was really about LaMelo, his development, his growth, mm -hmm. 
and the best the best teacher for someone like that as you guys know is is a veteran someone they could emulate they can watch every day their habits and you know nothing really fit for us and bringing this you know bringing biz back and watching them now is just you know biz is a pro he gets it he, he knows how to work he brings it every day in practice and that's that's been his example so i uh, didn't see it coming but it's worked out yeah you know what uh I didn't realize this. I looked at your bio, JB, real quick before um, before we did this show, and it, it seems that there's something called an assistant video coordinator job. Is that how you – was that the rung on the ladder that you started out at was the assistant video? We have another That's assistant like- coordinator here, uh, video coordinator here, Amin. So I got to learn about this whole like totem pole of assistant coordinators and video coordinators. Well, it, basically, it should be an unpaid intern. That's that was my. T- that's what I did. I was that unpaid intern. And if you remember back in two thousand three, like interns were interns. You didn't get paid. And now, right <laughs> now, <laughs> <Atta boy>. <laughs> <laughs> interns now like, they, they got salary. They, they get salary. You can pay your rent. <laughs> if I remember back to then, you know, I could make. You know, I was just eating off the food I got at the. I was taking, you know, the, the Gatorade bars home to eat. Yep. Thankfully, my wife supported us in San Antonio, you know, what, what she made on a, on a teacher salary. But I was getting paid zero uh, when I got to San Antonio. But how I got there, guys, was just like the door that opened was unbelievable. I didn't know any. I didn't know Popovich. I didn't know, you know, Carlissimo and Budenholzer and Brett Brown and Don. I didn't know any of these guys. And it was one connection with the the video coordinator in san antonio that i met back at a at a camp in san diego that was my one connection and as you know those coaches i just mentioned have a ton of people hitting them every year Mm -hmm. right to get their foot in the door back then video rooms only had one or two at that time if you guys remember now video rooms we have six army it's an, it's army. an army. It's its own staff. Yeah. I got to manage the video room. Just, just that staff alone. Back then there was just a few of us and pop knows tons of people and PJ knows tons of people. PJ probably knows more people than all of us combined, you mm-hmm. know, on this call. But, um, it was just this opening. It's like the Lord just opened up a door for me and I, I walked through it and changed my life forever. But pop didn't know me from, you know, he didn't know my name for a full year. He called me Ray Romano or he called me Albuquerque or, you know, and I just, I got it. <laughs> he did. He would call me Ray. He'd call me Ray Romano. That was my, that was my go-to or he'd forget that. And he called me Albuquerque. And um, I just stayed, aw- I just stayed away from him for the first year. I just tried to hide in the video room and I tried not to screw it up and get yelled at and, and that was it. But I think they were so high on their win. That year, that summer, they had won the 2003 championship. They beat New Jer- uh, the Nets. Yeah, yeah. They had beat uh, New Jersey. And during that period, they were trying to f- hire this position. Well, they were just so excited that they won the title. They probably they could have cared less who they hired. And I think I just – They got it all figured class. out. They don't need a video court. They just, they they just, yeah, they they just won the title. That's right. That's right. So, and from that day on, my, my world, my life changed forever. That's that's crazy. It's funny that you mentioned the, the the staff, the size of the video coordinator staffs. Now, uh, Tom, back in the day, there was like two guys, right? There was a head video two, guy yeah. who who kind of like dealt with the immediate concerns of coach, right? Okay. And then yes. the assistant video guys, everything else, right? Like you're recording games, right? DVR yep. wasn't a thing, so you had to no. be there 
to record all these games live, right? Hit record on all these DVD recorders, right? You had to, uh, if there was, if we were scouting teams, right? You had to get all the scout games down, right? You had to uh, break down all the stuff. If the front office needed, hey, we're thinking about trading for, you know, Wilt Chamberlain. Get me all this Wilt Chamberlain tape right now. You mm-hmm. got to cut all that tape. And players come in and say, yo, I haven't been feeling well. Can you get me like my last 50 shots or whatever? Cool. You're doing all of this stuff. And so I'll never forget, Coach, I think it was the Rockets when <clears throat> I found out they had like four guys. Mm. And I was like, four video mm. coordinators. <laughs> what a luxury. <laughs> like, do you even work? Do you guys like work for two hours a day and sleep the rest? Right. right. Having that much help. And, and I, like, I always, every time I tell this story, uh, Tom, you know what I get from the older video coordinators? Oh, DVDs. you had two? Oh, DVDs. Oh, you had DVDs? Oh, that must have been nice. Oh, we had to go uh, reel deck to, to reel. Deck. Or, yeah, oh, deck yeah. to deck. Yeah. Deck to deck. Wait, but we you guys, transi- go ahead, go ahead. We were, we were just, when I got there, we were just transitioning. You, you imagine being Greg Popovich's video coordinator in transition oh, from VHS to digital and trying to navigate that with, you know, Pop, he wants his old school VHS. That's all he's known. He doesn't want to watch something on a laptop or a DVD. Give me my old school. So as I was trying, we were trying to transition the staff towards digital and some DVD and away from VHS. So, but he was trying to, it was trying to keep the entire staff happy, but Pop was old school. I mean, he wanted the VHS. Mm-hmm. And so my first year, it was, it was a challenge to say the least. It was a challenge. So, but it, it got me ready. I mean, it got me ready. So I was thrown into the, to the fire early, but uh, I'm not sure. I got I, sh- I should check with San Antonio. He might still be watching VHS. I think, no, I think they, I think they upgraded. This is how I know, because when I was a video coordinator, one of the things, one of the many jobs you had to do when there was only one or two of you, Tom, is when you play a team, as soon as the game's over, you've been burning a copy of the game. So every home team has a responsibility to give the road team, I think, two copies, right? And then that video coordinator can make as many copies as he needs to for the rest of the staff. But you have to give them two copies because the idea is that their video coordinator is busy on their bench. He's not available or busy cutting the game. He's not available to record it. There were two teams that we had to also hand a VHS to. One was Utah because Jerry Sloan, and the other was Houston with Jeff Van Gundy. Yeah, and I remember the right. first time, the first time I tried to have this conversation with the video guy about, but it's the same functions. Fast forward, rewind, play, pause. Like it's the can't. same. Once the media goes into the player, everything is the same as a VHS. And the guy would look at me like, you and I think I've tried to have this conversation. <laughs> and he's like, that's what like, yep, yeah, yeah, you know, you're right. And just yeah. hand him a, hand him a VHS tape. Yeah, that's, that's true. It's it's hard oh, yeah. to break those. So does that yeah. mean that you are now like the old grizzled coach, like Pop, where you have your old fashioned coaching techniques or tech tech uh, tendencies? You know, it's funny. You become a head coach and you forget how to use technology. It's the strangest <laughs> thing. It's like I can't. Even, I used to, you know, I used to make all the, the the changes or you know upgrade stuff or any any issues that came up with laptops i was the guy that took care of it right or i'd make the now i can't you know if my computer does something 
I called him. <laughs> what do I do? I called him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the same. I'm just like them. So it's like you become a head coach and you forget all this stuff. So, um, but I try, I, I told my video guy the other day, I try to have grace because the video clicker the other day wasn't working. And I said, you know what Greg Popovich used to do when my, when the clicker wasn't for him, you can imagine what happened when the clicker wasn't working for him. That thing got thrown at you or it got thrown across <laughs> the room or, or something was broken. Right. And so I've been in that position. I try to have a little more patience and grace with my guy. He does a great job, but I've been there. So I've lived it. What, have you, what was uh, the first time that pop like went, out, went off on you or like there was a Ooh. memorable moment when pop, as we call it in the media industry, getting popped. Ooh. It's, I mean, playoff, playoff intensity. It had to, it had to be in a playoff series. I, I remember being, I think we were in Seattle. It was halftime in Seattle. This is my first memory. And one of the clips at halftime wasn't there. So, you know, he wanted to watch five or six uh -oh. clips and, you know, you're going through the clips and he's watching them before he goes to take it to the team at halftime. Cause there's about a five, probably from the 15 minute mark to about the 10 minute mark at halftime coaches are watching clips mm -hmm. and, you know, preparing for the second half and pop like watching, you know, five to 10 clips. And I remember going and taking my, my laptop at the time into the locker room and plugging in and it was just not working. And I don't remember if the clip wasn't there or the, the actual projector or laptop wasn't working. Didn't matter. Probably, it didn't matter. Whatever it was, it wasn't there. And, um, there went the projector. The, the, that was the, the projector's last day. So <laughs> I don't remember if it was a toss, a kick, but it was a halftime of a, of a, Seattle playoff series and you know it it, uh, it was not pretty so I tried to deliver from then on out you know I tried not to screw it up but technology is technology it's got its own mind and st sometimes stuff happens but um, I would pray every morning over my over my re remote and my laptop that it worked and 90 percent of the time it worked 95 percent of the time it worked but those five percent it added a lot of the grades it started the grades on the beard and the hair so <laughs> here we go so you, you coached Chris Paul when he was, when he was uh, with the Hornets. You were an assistant coach for Monty Williams. You coached Kawhi Leonard, Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili. You were on assistant coaching staff for all of those greats. And now you have what seems to be a generational talent in LaMelo Ball, who is right now averaging 11 points, six rebounds, six assists a game in just 25 minutes a game. Like, as a video guy coming up, how much video did you see of this, of this kid? And what were your impressions the first time you watched him on film? And then when you got to see him in a workout? Yeah. Well, the tape is, as you all know, you studied it. You could see, you could see something special there. I think the question was, would it translate and how would it translate? Um, obviously on film, I was seeing the vision, the court sense, um, obviously there was stuff defensively, you know, we were concerned about, we, you, you see it on film, uh, with the, with the shot translate, but you knew something was there for me though. It wasn't until I got in person with him that I said, wow, this kid, this kid is special. So, um, I was not, not on the first, uh, video call with LaMelo. Um, but I was on the first visit in, in LA. So we go, Obviously, we know he's he's going to be in our range, and you know you're hearing all the different talk about who could be there at three. And 
um, we were fortunate to get in front of him in LA. So Mitch, Buzz and myself went to LA and just my first gut impression of him was a, was positive. It's like, I saw this joy, this genuine joy about being in the gym. Obviously until you, none of that stuff translates on, on film as you guys know. You only, and we say this a lot, right? You never know a player until you coach him or you're around him. Even that one visit doesn't tell me enough, but it gave me a sort of a peace or a comfort going, I like this kid. There's a joy. There's a spirit about him. There's a genuine, genuine, uh, likable spirit here. So he, he works out. He, he says hello to everybody in the gym. The workout was fine. I mean, he, he shot the ball well, all that stuff we saw in film as well. but. To me, it really, when it came down to the interview, the one-on-one with him, we probably got 30 to 45 minutes with him one-on-one. And that was sort of the, the questions, you know, his answers, but more looking at each other eye to eye, getting a sense of who he is as a person. And that's really, at the end of the day, all these names you, you mentioned before, those are all incredible people. Like they get it. They understand how to work. They understand people, the likability, uh, the character of him. To me, I started to see more the character of LaMelo revealed in that, in that one setting. Now, you should never draft a guy off of one setting. I, I would right. never, you know, I wouldn't advise anybody to do that. You guys know better than I, you know, that's not, but in that moment, I had a piece about this kid and, um, he's blown me away since the person more than the player, just this kid. Obviously, you read a lot and the ball name has been in the, in the media for a number of years now. And you just never want to judge. I try as a coach not to judge a player until I coach him for myself, mm-hmm. right? No, no matter if a player had a different experience at another organization or in college, I try not to put these, um, you know, be, judge these kids right. until I actually have my hands on them. So, yeah. and LaMelo has been fantastic since. I mean, he's just a wonderful kid, a genuine kid, wants to get better. Uh, he's just a lovely person. Coach, what's something about him basketball-wise that you didn't get from the tape and you didn't get from the workout, but now that you're coaching him, like, whoa, I didn't know he could do that. Yeah, the rebounding instinct. That yep. I, thought, I thought he would go get rebounds and just you kind of get the, the loose change rebounds. Mm-hmm. But what, what has really surprised me is climbing in there with seven footers and digging them out. That's mm-hmm. rare for a, like a 19-year-old point guard to go do and he does it fairly consistently, you know, that he, he can go rebound with bigs, which is rare. We obviously need that. We don't have the size at, at some of these positions. So having LaMelo has, has helped us in that area. Your, your assist rate, do you know, Coach, what your assi- how much of your baskets percentage-wise, what percentage of your baskets are assisted this season? It's high. It's got to be first in the league. Second, first, second in the league. First in the league, 74% of your baskets are assisted. That ranks number one all time if it were first full season. Wow. Look, we, we've bought into this. Look, and I've said this a couple of times. This started last year, and, and I, I'm going to give LaMelo a little you know, credit as well on this, but we laid this seed last year, kind of when nobody was watching, you know, the Hornets were playing, and we, we started this ball-moving identity last year. And I, I learned a lot of this in San Antonio. Uh, this belief in playing with the pass and obviously the more talent you have that it looks you know, a lot better but I believe in the pass and that identity started to form last year 
And then we came back this year looking to add playmaking to our roster. And we did that with Gordon and LaMelo, two elite playmakers, as you guys know. You know both of these players. Obviously, you guys have history and you know Gordon. We we have that size now with Gordon to make plays. But Miles has come back a better playmaker. Obviously, PJ has that ability. Devontae's continued as a playmaker for us. Yep. To me, it says we just we bought into this sort of identity and the guys, we demand it, we coach it. Uh, and that's how we play. How hard was it to, I won't say convince, but kind of allay any fears from Devontae and to a lesser extent, Terry? I guess Devontae would be the main one because last year was his breakout year and yeah. uh, he was on the most improved ballot and, and the general feel-good story about, a, you know, a player who, you know, had an okay rookie year and then that broke out last year. And then the franchise drafts a franchise level player at his position. How, how did that conversation go with Devonte after that? I lost you guys for a second there. Oh, but uh, well, you, were just, you were asking about Devonte, how, how he, how he's handled it. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I was, you know, obviously it was a major concern for me. Devonte had such a special year last year and he means so much to our program. Um, Look, he was such a major when, – when you looked at our group last year, to finish ninth in the Eastern Conference with a roster that was very inexperienced, mm-hmm. um, Devontae deserves a lot of that credit in the season he had. And now with adding, you know, LaMelo to the mix, he's a human being, you know, in, in, you know, in a contract year. I didn't know how he would handle it, but I didn't want to shy away from it. And I just, you know, we, we dealt with it head on. Even going into the draft, you know, I had a conversation with Devontae heading in. If this is the direction we go, this is what it means for you. And what I shared with him is, I believe in you. I trust you. You're, you're, you're ours. You're, you're one of my core pieces, our core pieces, and I believe in you. And we'll figure it out together. You know, we obviously need, need more talent, and you got to find the best talent. And especially when you draft in the top three, it's not a positional thing, as you guys know. You yeah. really got to go for the best talent. And then it's up to me to figure it out. And I shared that with Devontae. But I wanted him to know that this had nothing to do with him. It was just about us finding the best piece for us moving forward. And then it's up to me to figure out uh, how to use you know, the group. And he's been great. And you know, he's trusted me along the way. I've continued to start him. I think he's earned it. This isn't something I'm just handing over to Devontae. He's earned it based on last year, based on early this season, based on what I think is best for LaMelo right now. This is the direction we're going, but I'll continue to play them together. Um, But I think the thing overall as a head coach I've learned in this league, just being honest and open with your guys, you know, meet things head on and try to, you know, to to communicate before, um, you know, before it gets to a point where guys are uncomfortable. Coach, we're about a fifth of the way through the season. Uh, LaMelo has come off the bench for all of every, every game he's played. Is there any plan for him to enter the starting lineup, uh, barring, obviously, injury or something of that nature? There is, and, and I'm taking it really game by game. I really said let's take it in five-game samples. Um, I, I don't want to commit to anything, you know, if it's the right move for us at the right time, I'll make it. And I, you know, I think right. I've proven that the last couple of years, I'm not afraid to make certain moves. And, um, 
look, I, I think in the end, LaMelo's a starter in this league. He has to be a starter in this league. He has that talent, that ability. Um, but also the development is, there, is, is, a, is a piece of this as well. And making sure that we're growing him at the right pace, that the team is growing at the right pace as well. I want to make sure that the guys are ready for him. He's ready for that position. And, you know, he didn't have a summer league. You know, he just moved to Charlotte. There's a lot going on for this kid in a pandemic. There's a lot. This is not your typical uh, rookie season for him. So I've tried to step back and, and take it a more a cautious approach, a patient approach. And when the time is right, I'll know it. We'll know it. And, and you know, we'll make that move. What, where, where that goes as far as the rotation, I, I don't know yet. And it could happen this year. I'm not saying it's going to happen this year. It could happen next season. Ultimately, we need him to be a starting point guard for us, though, as well. I mean, he could be your Manu, Devontae. He could be. Yeah. No, I mean, it, that, that, that was one of the most unselfish acts. I mean, I was a part of it. I was there. I, 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 I witnessed the conversations about it. You know, and how, how did he initially take down. that? Yeah. Manu, how did it go down? Yeah. My, Manu was, you know, Manu initially – as you know, that, that's a tough sell for somebody at that level. Uh, you know, the impact he had on our winning was significant. He was, he was our closer. He was closing games. He was this, he was Ginobili. I mean, he was, he's a God in San Antonio. Right. And for him to take a step back and come off the bench, he did it in such a oh boy, like a, just a, a extremely humble way. Uh, and I'm like, I can't say that it was easy for him to start. Like it wasn't got it done, but he handled it with grace and humility. And he knew that it was the best thing for the team in the end. He knew it was the best thing for the team. Not and, initially though. He was probably like, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think in all of Argentina was too. I think you know, all of Argentina <laughs> was just, you know, they were about to boycott all, you know, the NBA and, and pop. They were going to, you know. <laughs> They were, they were uh, trying to, you know, search out pop and people are too with me with LaMelo, I'm sure. I mean, that's probably out there with LaMelo um, as well, but you got to do what's best for your group and your team. And I think, again, I, that's one thing I learned from pop is just that communication and the buy-in and the trust. I think in the end, the biggest thing is having the trust between your head coach and your players. And when you have that, that's special. Uh, and it takes time to build up that equity, but, they had it. I'm trying to build that up with our guys as well. You know, I noticed one of the amazing things that pop off the, uh, off the screen when I watch LaMelo film it, it's amazing how, even when he's getting those rebounds and climbing those mountains to get a rebound, I saw one off of like Boban, he reached up and got one off of Boban. It's like amazing to watch that. But the other thing is he's already looking up the court when he's getting the rebound. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I've never seen a teenager with that kind of ba basketball IQ or basketball sense where he's grabbing a rebound and already looking up ahead for the pass. Yeah. It's special. I mean, when he, you're, you're right, he's already on to the next play. He's a multitasker. Is that, you know, <laughs> you ever use that as a, as a basketball player? He's a multitasker. He can rebound and already be thinking about the next play. He's already made that next play in his mind. Same thing in pick and roll. I mean, we, we, and we see that. There's a number of guys, as you know, in the league that have that, not, not a lot of them, but they have that ability to see the next play before it even happens. That's rare to do. But 
uh, what you're talking about, you don't see a lot of players even doing that off the rebound already onto the next play. And he probably already knows where he's going with it. You've seen a couple outlets already up the floor that he's already, he's already seen it before it's happened. Coach, uh, one of the biggest improvements for you guys has been on the defensive end. A year ago, bottom five in the league, over 112 points per 100 possessions allowed. You guys have shaved almost five points off of that. You're top 10, almost what kind of fringe of the top 10. But not a whole lot of personnel switches. Usually I always say, usually that happens because you went and traded for Kevin Garnett or you went out and you hired uh, you know, Dick Harder as your defensive coordinator. Right, you guys right. did neither. Uh, from, yeah. from that aspect, what's been the biggest change defensively for you? Well, again, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll look back to last season and I was proud of our group, the way we finished the season, because the last month of the season, we had built up to becoming, we were a better defensive team down the stretch. The last month of the season, I think we were holding teams to the lowest points per, per game in that stretch of time. Right so I found some, down, we, yeah. right before it shut down. We had found some things defensively that we liked. A little bit was personnel change, but to your point, we had just kept pounding away at this thing defensively. Like we just fully committed. And, you know, overall, our philosophy has continued to be the same, just an overall mentality to protect the paint and challenge every shot. Um, and we work at it every single day. There's a full-on commitment um, beginning last season and into the training camp this year that we're going to, we're going to commit to playing defense and we're going to drill it every single day. And if our guys get sick of it, it just becomes a part of who you are. And that's sort of the identity we're building our habits every single day and doing that. And it's taken time last year. It did not look pretty. It really did. And we were doing these drills every single day and we were not seeing the results and we just kept pounding away at it. And by it started to turn, you know, and I think it's that old adage, you just keep pounding and eventually it's going to turn. But uh, we've stuck with that philosophy. We've committed to it. To your point, I think, you know, we're like second right now in the league in points per possession in the half court defense. Mm, yeah. And we've done this a little bit with our zone defense, mixing in our zone defense and our man defense, protection of the paint. Almost prevention is cure is our philosophy here. We cannot, our personnel and our team, if the ball gets to the paint, we're in trouble. We're just in trouble. We got to we got to do this before the ball gets there. Right. And if that means we're going to give up some threes, we're going to give up some threes. But we're going to do it before. And the zone has helped us do that. It's a mixture of the zone and the man. But overall, commitment and pride to defend. Yeah, Lamelo um, is got a knack for the ball, where he just seems even on rebounds or loose balls, um, passing lanes. He's just. He's creating turnovers. And I remember the stat that popped, you know, I, I saw early in the season that he's number one in steal rate, steal percentage. Just, I, I, didn't, I didn't really hear that coming into the league that he has that kind of potential is just create opportun- transition opportunities off the, off the steal. Um, but the guy that I'm focusing on is PJ Washington because I think there's a real potential for him to play at the five for long stretches for you guys, especially when Cody's out and you got Bismack. At, at center, he could be the backup five. But that's going to require him to, you know, embrace that role. And also everyone right, has to right. guard as a unit. But how – I know early this season, PJ had a tough time, I guess, coming into conditioning or something where he's really rounded into shape the last five games. How important is PJ to what you're trying to do? 
He's huge. I thought I thought he would elevate our program more than anybody going into this season. That he has that ability at that position. He has the skill set, um, and obviously it's going to come, you know, playing at the five. And um, it took us a minute to get there. You know, we, we didn't get off to a great start with him. Um, he recognized it. We recognize it. But he is. We're seeing the impact in his ability these last five games, really. And a lot of it is coming with him at the five. You know, that's where his advantage is. It allows me to play Miles at the four, which is, a, you know, a pretty dynamic front court. Obviously, we got to rebound and defend at that level with those guys. But the small sample size after, I think, 14 games now, you look at the numbers, the number says to keep playing them, that this is working, you know. And really the last three to five games, his rebounding percentage, defensive rebounding percentage, I think is like 26% which would be top five, top 10 in the NBA. So he's kicked it in the gear. He, he, he recognizes that his advantage in this league right now, and, you know, players want advantages, they want to score and they want to put up numbers, is to be at the five. But to do that, we got to rebound the ball, we got to defend. And we have found a group that's been able to do that, playing small. You know, the, the, the numbers say the net rating offensively, defensively, and PJ's individual production says to continue it. So, um, look, I, I'm I'm there with them. I, I think Miles' advantage is at the four. So to get Miles to the four, I've got to play PJ at the five. And so far, you know, we've committed to it, and and, and I like it. I like it. Coach Gordon Hayward was a guy that there were a couple of teams that had interest in him. What was what was the main pitch? to him from the Charlotte Hornets organization of why he should play with a team that if you look at the roster, like Tom said at the beginning, it's a very, very young roster and on a completely different timeline from someone who's, who just turned 30 and, and or over 30 in Gordon Hayward. Yeah, there were a couple of things. Obviously he had history here. He knew the city. There was some intrigue with the city or in the organization. You know, obviously he had that, you know, he had signed here, the offer sheet. The offer sheet. He had history with Michael. Um, there had been conversations there in the past. He knew the city. I think he took a tour of the city. He was comfortable with the city. I don't think there was a lot of, we didn't have to sell a lot of that. I think he overall, you know, and I won't speak for him, but my sense is that he wanted to find a team um, that tried to play the right way in his mind. You know, I'm mm-hmm. not saying we played a perfect brand of basketball. He felt, but he felt like, this is a, a system and style I could see myself playing in as a main piece. Um, obviously, we needed we needed somebody at that position. Uh, he fit there. He wanted more of a role as a playmaker. And this was not about scoring for him. He wasn't saying, "Look, I want to come here and average, you know, twenty five points," mm-hmm. but I want to impact more plays than than I'm making now. And we we provided him that opportunity. He saw, and I referenced this earlier, you know, he saw the way we played last year. Even though we weren't winning a ton of games, I think the, the blueprint was there. Uh, the, the ball movement was there. And that's how he wants to play. He, he, he wants to play where the ball's moving. It's not, you know, in one person's hands. He, he wanted to see that thing. And that was one thing that we could sell to him. The other thing was just our, our, our medical performance team. You know, you look at the last two years, We've been one of the healthiest teams in the NBA. And I give our, our group here a ton of credit. Um, you know, even Kemba played every, his first year, Kemba played every game of that season. Mm-hmm. Cody Zeller, obviously, he had the, the, the broken hand. But in general, he's gotten, 
you know, he's played more than not uh, with the with the knee issues he's had in, in the past. And overall, our guy, you know, our performance team does a great job. And I think that's one thing that really attracted Gordon here. And I, one of my things to, to Gordon was, why couldn't the best years of your career be ahead of you? Why can't you get better? Why can't you get better? I believe in our program, you're going to get better. We're going to modernize your shot selection. You're going to develop different parts of your game. We're going to look at you in the post some more. You're going to add more threes to your game and you're going to play make more. So why can't these next three to four years be the best years of your career? And he's taken that to heart. He's been aggressive with it. And thankfully he he's bought in and it's, it's been a, it's been a good marriage so far. Coach, you were, you're, to jump back into it, you were uh, talking about Gordon Hayward. Like when you talk about position in today's NBA, I mean, what is that? Like, you guys are leading the league in assisted percentage. And yet I wouldn't say you have a pure point guard in the starting lineup. Um, and LaMelo, I would say, is more pure, pure point guard. But you, just guys have, you, have, you have guys who can play basketball. Yeah. That's how we, how we try to build this. And, and that's become more of my philosophy over time, you know. And I go look back to my days in San Antonio. That was very positional. You know, the NBA has changed so much. And um, – Right now, it's really about versatility, playmakers, um, you know, guys at different positions that that can play with the ball in their hands, that can make a shot and create for others. And it's really about spacing and concepts more than actually positions. And uh, that's how we built this roster. You know, we, we built it with guys. And, and I have a number. I can't play all my guys. I really wish I could. You know, we have a we have a really deep team. You know, you look at this group, I can't get a number of these guys on the floor. Um, but it's really built out of playmaking ability, shot making ability and playing the right way. And Gordon does that for us. I mean, he allows us to play. He could play, call it the three, call it the four, you know, uh, Cody Martin's now playing some four for us. You know, PJ slid from the, the, the four to the five. And it's really just about finding the right combination for your team. And putting your best players that can make plays and make shots on the floor and figure out a way to defend at the same time. I think those are the toughest teams right now. And uh, that's where I have to balance it. You know, where do I find the playmaking, the offense, and still find the right combination defensively? I think so far we're there. I've got a long ways to go this, this year. I'm still trying to figure out this group. But I have – this is the most versatile group, you know, I've had here in my time. The most pressing concern for the Hornets as currently constituted is blank. Mm. Mm. Well, health, obviously, it starts there. You know, can we stay healthy um, and continue to develop and, and grow this young group? But it's going to be on the defensive end. You know, I think that's the question. Can we sustain what we've done on the defensive, defensive end right now? Because I think a lot of people would say the personnel doesn't say this is a defensive group, but I can't, I cannot give into that as, as their coach. And we hit it every single day and that buy-in's got to be there every single day for us to win in this league. You guys, you both know, we're going to have to live in this range of defense. You know, I, I don't see us outscoring teams every single night. We got to do it with the balance of, you know, obviously our playmakers and our offense and moving the ball but continuing to defend at the upper level of the NBA right now. How often do you talk to LeVar Ball? <laughs> nightly text, nightly text. Um, there's no conversation there. 
you know, I, I love his son. I coach his son and that's where I live. Yeah. Cause I, I imagine when I hear about LaMelo ball being drafted and all the hype coming in, I'm like, man, the team that gets him is going to have all this baggage. It's gonna be a lot of conversation around that. And I haven't heard anything about from LeVar ball. Right. That's, that's a good question. Your gut, obviously your relationship with that family started with a pre-draft meeting and another pre-draft meeting and then drafting him and, and, and now coaching LaMelo. But, in your gut, how much do you think LeVar has changed as far as his approach to being dad to, to an NBA talent? It, it, you're, I mean, it's hard to speculate, but just from what I know from looking, you know, looking at it from an outsider's perspective, it looks to me like he's taken a different approach this time around, you know, and um, – I, I don't know. Maybe I, I don't even want to speculate on, on why. Maybe you know. But he's not blowing you up after every game, like, like no. <laughs> there, 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 there's been no conversation there, and, and I have great respect for. I, I be, I've become. I have a higher respect for what I've seen because you're a product of your parents in a lot of ways. They've done a heck of a job raising this young man. I can't speak for the other the other kids. All I can speak for is Lamelo. And what I see is as a respectful, humble, generous young man that really wants to work and is unselfish and is about the team. And a lot of that goes, it's gotta, it's gotta go back to your parents. All of us are a product of our, our parents in a lot of ways, our values. And that was the one question I had for, for I, I think my first question in LA with Lamella was, what do you value? And he said to me, I value family. I value family. I care about family. And everything I've seen since then has been about that. Like that, that was not just smoke there. It's true. And he's a, he's a wonderful kid. And you got to give his parents a ton of credit for whatever they did, however they raised him. People can critique all of us as parents. What I see the product at this level and what I see LaMelo is a special kid that gets it. He gets it. He's, he's, um, he see the players seem to like playing with him. Like you might, you might think, oh, this kid with all the hype. He he passes all the time. Of course they like playing with him. But like, but like James Harden gets a ton of assists a game, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the guy's like playing with James. There's, there's ways that you can rack up a ton of assists a mean without actually being like, I didn't say assists. I didn't say he gets a lot of assists. I said he passes. <laughs> <laughs> but like when, they, when love, I, they love being around this kid. They love being yeah, around him. There's a magnetic uh, – it seems like there's a magnetic feel around him. Yes. I mean, I'm talking in film sessions, on the bus. He's not afraid to laugh at himself. And I love that. That's, that's, that's a quality that's so underrated in, in today. Like, he's gotten over himself. He doesn't take himself uh, too serious. He laughs at himself. Like what? Like what uh, is he – like are you guys – You know, he'll say – Oh, you know, I did, I used to do, you know, I still, he references his time in Australia. Yeah. That was the last, you know, when I, when I used to mess up all the time, that was my Australia days, you know, and it's like, <laughs> I'm growing up guys. I'm really growing up. I'm, I'm really trying, you know, I'm not Australia anymore, you know, and he really wants to be liked. He's genuine. He'll offer you the grapes in his hand. You know, he, he really will. I think we came out of a, uh, we, we, we had a, a lunch, a pregame lunch. And Lamelo, you know, he's he's walking towards me. We're we're on an elevator, and you know, he's got this 
bowl of grapes or this cup of grapes, you know, just like a little kid. It's like, Hey coach, would you like some grapes? You know, would you like some grapes? He's like, he's ready to hand them to me and give me the whole cup, you know, and, uh, just a very generous young man. I've noticed right. there's a, there's an amazing chemistry between him and PJ. I think they have 20 assists. He has 20 assists to PJ so far this season, which is one of the highest rates for any player combo in the NBA. A couple of them are like super creative behind the back in the pick and pop. Or mm-hmm. uh, there was one where he just like kind of like tossed him behind his head with yeah. Boban. Like there just seems to be this chemistry that those two guys have. Do you see it too? Like I see it in the stats, but do you see that there's a real chemistry between those two players? Yeah, I do. I do. And, and a lot of it, like you're talking about, is, is out of the pick and roll. And LaMelo is going to be an elite pick and roll player. And I'm not going to say he's there yet. You know, he's learning. He's yep. learning on the fly. And But you're seeing these reads, those passes you're talking about, you know, I, you just got to smile sometimes. The ability to just throw it back. He's Again, he sees that play happen before it happens. You know, he's already <laughs> made that pass in his in his head. He knows. He, he's reading the defense. And he has the, the ability to get it back to these guys that most guys don't, they may see, they may know it, but they don't know how to get it back there in as efficient way as he does. It might be another dribble throwback by then the defense has recovered. He's there, already there, a step ahead of them. There, there was a play where he, I think was in transition where he bounced past it between his legs to Terry. And it was, it was a backcourt violation. Like he, I think it was, it might've been against Memphis, but LaMelo was yeah. like going in transition. And I mean, it was like, if I was coaching this, this player, I would have just yanked him right out of the game because it was like one of those uh, yeah. like flashy plays. It didn't need to be that flashy. And it, it turned into a turnover for you as a coach. How, what is your philosophy on that type of stuff? Like, do you, is it a quick hook or is it like a conversation or is it a, let him make these mistakes and he'll be better. for Oh, that's a good one. So in the moment, I want to yank him. In the moment, I want to yank him. But as my assistants say, and I, I trust my them and my gut, I'm trying to keep the patience there because this is what makes Lamelo special. He, he's got to go through this and he's got to make, you know, he's got to make some of these plays. But when you look at the numbers, even as many home runs as he tries to hit, he's only averaging two turnovers a game. Yes. You know, right. This is... This is not like he's throwing her all over the place. The, the one that I see that that turnover you're talking about feels like five turnovers to me. I mean, it, it's like the weight of it feels like five turnovers because it's so like in your face, you know. But when I look at the numbers after the game, I'm going, that's the one turnover he had for the game, right? So I've got to continue to trust him and let him develop. If I continue to see too many of these, then I, I'm, I'm having those conversations yesterday in practice. I stopped the practice because he had one of those in a, in a two minute period, we were trying to play a, a two minute game. And that's where he's got to, to me, slow down a little bit. When it comes to that last three, four minutes, we got to get great shots, right? There's no home run plays. You got to be so, more solid in those areas. And I think that's just going to come over, over time. Coach, you cut your teeth under Greg Popovich. Uh, you, as Tom said earlier, you were an assistant on Monty Williams' staff, but Monty also came from the pop tree. Now you're a head coach in the league. What's an example of something that you carried over from San Antonio and then very within this, you know, this experience, you said to yourself, you know what, that might have worked for pop. It's not going to work for me. I got to do it a different way. Mm. Mm. Ooh, that's a good one, too. 
going deep on us. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing I learned from San Antonio was overall consistency and clarity that that translates no matter what I I'm, I'm a big believer in that, that we're going to stay consistent in what we do, how we do things. And I've got to provide clarity for our players. And I think pop did that as well as anybody. Um, and he was really, as you guys know about connection, about people, that's not going to change for me as well. That's something that has carried over, um, even on Monty's staff on jocks, you know, staff who also was a part of the San Antonio tree that we're going to connect with people, human level. It's not going to just be about basketball. And I've tried to carry that here as well. Um, but I can't be Greg Popovich and, though I think about him at least once a day or every other day and kind of like, what would he do? What would he think? What would pop do? I do ask myself that almost on a regular day-to-day basis because that's where I did cut my teeth. That's my core. I go back there almost on a day-to-day basis, but it's a different time. It's a different personnel. These are different players. It's a different era. You have to find different ways to connect with your players. And so I find myself texting through the, throughout the night with my players. You know, that's not something, and I'm, I'm not sure Pop's doing that on a night-to-night basis, you know? Um, or if you are, I mean, something's gone very wrong. Something's gone very wrong. <laughs> I love his text, by the way. He's become more of a texter now, and uh, that's new for him. But Emojis? I, yeah, yeah. No. Pop, No. <laughs> What, what's it, what's yeah. what's Pop's most used emoji? You know, people go back to the well over and over with certain emojis they like. What's Pop's most used one? Oh man, I I, I don't I don't I'm not gonna go I'm not gonna go. Oh, there, but, was it an eggplant? Uh, no, 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 no. I don't know. I mean, I, I we we can't spill the beans on on Pop's favorite emojis here. Oh man, I, no. I just want to know yeah. if I get a text yeah. in the middle of the night. That. I'm gonna keep that. I'm gonna. I'm gonna keep that sacred for for us. But but he does um, know how to use uh, a text messenger. You know, yeah. like that's that's a step up from back in the VHS days. For sure, <laughs> for sure. And it took him a while even to get a cell phone and all that. But he's, you know, he's he's figured it out. But you know, he he was so special in finding ways to connect with his players. You know, that's the one thing I always took and I've tried to do. I'm just maybe doing it a different way in my own style, in in my, you know, with my own creativity. And he's once, I mean, once in a lifetime coach for our league. We know that he's so special, but I'm just trying to be me and, and, you know, build this thing, you know, my way, our way and being adaptable you know i don't want to just say i'm I'm this i'm willing to adapt from year to year game to game and you know i've done that you know look myself in the mirror and and looking at ways to tweak our our team and get the most out of them and you know hopefully he'd be proud of that too so i have both of you here and i'd be remiss if i didn't mention 2007 spurs sons oh motherfucker Oh, seven. I'm just going to let it hang here. I mean, if you want to talk, I mean, he knows, oh, he knows what happened. Yeah. <laughs> he knows, he knows who they got help from. They got help from, from powerful pl- voices from up above. Uh, you know, you know what I mean? 
I don't, I don't want to talk about this. To be honest, <laughs> every yeah, every time, coach, every time I get over it, someone brings it up and it just takes you all the way back, all over again. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard to that's be in that situation. One. That's I like. I don't think that's ever. There's, I I don't. I'm pretty sure it hasn't happened again, where you could say the semifinals of this conference. That's the NBA finals. The team that oh, won yeah. that was gonna was gonna win the championship. The second round of a, in a conference, right? It, it, it that's you, that doesn't happen anymore, and it hasn't happened since I don't think, because it was just it was the 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 combination of how deep and talented the West was, yeah, yeah. how shallow the East was, other than Detroit really, and even and Detroit didn't even they ended up getting beat by by LeBron, right? And then within our conference. We were good enough to be a one seed. They were good enough to be a one seed, but we weren't because Dallas was the one seed, and Dallas lost to uh, Golden believe. State in the in the first round. So it was the perfect storm of, yeah, we went into that series and we knew whoever wins this is winning the NBA championship. There is no other obstacle out there that comes close. Uh, and coach, I you know, I know every team is different. Everyone thinks Oof. of. Every team yeah. they've been with, they've been for you guys in San Antonio, you were together a bunch of years, but every team is different, has a different personality and identity. For me, I always think of that Phoenix team was, mm. that was the most talented team we had. In mm. terms of, we did everything. We did everything. Yeah. We, we had uh, our, Tom, you could look this up. I think our eight, eight rotation guys, everyone either shot 50% from the field or 40% from three. Or if, you're Steve, or if you're That's Steve Nash, you did both. It, it, was, it was insane. It was an insane collection of talent. Yeah. We could do it all. Our defense was actually not bad that year because Roger Bell was first-team all-defense. Sean Marion was incredible. Uh, James yeah. Jones really did well for us. And it's just, you know. <laughs> you, you did, it, did. You're right. I mean, you did everything you could in that, that season, that series. That was the year. That was the year. We were obsessed. I mean, in, in – you know, you said Dallas. We were obsessed with Dallas and Phoenix the entire year. We knew it was going to come down to those two teams. I think we, we both knew that. And we were watching. We were preparing for both those teams every game we played. We were playing 82-game schedule, but we knew we were preparing for Phoenix and Dallas. I mean, it, it, that's what it was going to come down to. And that was a heavyweight battle. I mean, that was a heavyweight battle, and it looked like it was going their direction. You know, we were we were on the ropes there for a minute. But – um, Nash was special and Amari was, I mean, just a beast. We, we tried, we tried everything to take him out. We'd go into the game saying, we're going to take Amari out and take him out. <laughs> we couldn't take him out. You know, it was, uh, that was a special team. That was a special team. Oh man. I mean, just crying. I don't, I don't know if you can see it, JB. He's, he's, you know, over that. but you know, it's the people, the people you remember are always the, that's the weirdest thing. Coaches talk about Nash and Amari, and all I can think of, I hate Francisco Elson, and I hate Fabrizio Alberto. I hate those guys. I hate those guys so much because they would just do these little things that if you weren't sitting there watching tape, hours and hours of tape, you would, you see, you see what he just did right there, where he would duck, like, uh, he'd be running. Unbelievable. Yeah. They would, they would run, uh, side picker all over here, and then, Oberto would just at the last second he would just duck in on Amari right yeah, yeah. right in front of the rim and it just yeah and he probably oh, didn't man. leave the floor he probably didn't leave the floor to lay it in no 
No, 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 no. Because he just he just stick his ass back and and create yeah. that space and just lay it up with his hair and oh man, I, I hated those guys so much. Man, it's like you could live, you live, you live with Tony Parker killing you uh, from mid range with that little pull up and Manu obviously Manu, yeah, with his yeah. really exaggerated pump. It you can live with all that. <laughs> But like it's it's the Obertos, it's the it's the Elsons, it's I'm trying to think who else was on that team. It just oh Bruce obviously karate chop. Oh Bruce, yeah. karate chop. You know because they could only call one foul on a play. So what <laughs> Bruce would do is after they would whistle, he would just keep hitting Steve on his arm, and it wasn't it wasn't to hurt him. It was just to be irritating. Yeah. And, that, mm. and Roger would come back with some some as well. Roger would get his dings in. <laughs> Roger would throw a few in it. (laughs) Have we, if we like Jacques is now on the staff with Steve Nash and Mike D'Antoni. Like, is that the the truest like merging of the two? Like, the yeah, uh, I guess Sean Marks is kind of in between, right? He had a little, he had Phoenix and San Antonio. They're kind of a blend over there, you know? Udoka's over there, you know, San Antonio, Phoenix. Maybe it's all coming back together. You know, this is it. This is how the piece was made. This is, this is where (laughs) it was supposed to end. Maybe this is where it's supposed to end, but. Um, that's a series I'll always, I'll never forget for sure. That's one of those series that, and you know, <laughs> mean, same thing. He'll never forget it <laughs> for, hey, for different reasons. Coach, uh, I want to ask you about coaching in a, in a pandemic. The, the whole mask thing is fascinating to me that like coaches have to scream out plays, but they also have to wear a mask. And you want to pull it down to like projectile that like get a loud play call out there. But like now I'm thinking, do, do you just go with hand signals? Like what's, how have you evolved as a coach with a, with a mask on? Well, you got to add the hand signals for sure. So that's a part of it, but your guys, boy, you have to give them direction on the court. There's no other way to do it. You, you know, a hand signal here and there, but to get it to five guys at one time, you have to project with your voice. So it's a challenge. It's a different way to coach. Obviously, health is number one, and I get it. You know, we're, we're trying to do our best. Everybody's trying to do their best yeah. to compete, coach their guys, stay healthy. There's not a perfect solution here. I try to do much better. I know, you know, I know the league is watching, and so I will continue to do my best. Uh, but heat and bat- uh, in the heat of battle, sometimes you just got to, hey, let it rip. And you know. I, Have you gotten any calls from the league office about mask enforcement? Like, hey, man, we watched you last night. You were kind of – you are pulling down a lot. <laughs> what I'll say is I'm doing a much better job. <laughs> I'm doing a much better job. Uh, I'm learning. I'm learning. I'm learning. I'm learning, okay? I'm coachable. I'll say that. I'm coachable. I'm coachable. Do you think – as someone who's been in the league for 16 or so years, do you think having a booming voice now is the best coaching advantage? Having a voice sure. that, like, because I always thought, hey, it's good to be just be a real even keel coach, like a Brad Stevens type who just seems like he's, you know, very relaxed out there. But I almost feel like now is the time to work on your vocal, your pipes, is to make sure you can uh, yeah. scream really loud. Well, you're going to get more pipes this year for sure. You're absolutely, you know, screaming through a mask. Um, but I wonder if it's more advantageous for a team that their coach doesn't coach, you know, they're not so vocal, that they're, this is just how they play normally, you know. For me, I'm not like that. I'm, I'm you know, for a young group, we're one of the youngest teams in the league. You guys know that. I'm going to, I'm going to be up there coaching our guys and, you know, making sure that we're 
doing what we need to and calling stuff out. And our group requires it for me. I, I can't, but I've, I've had to settle in and let these guys play more at times, knowing that there's not a whole lot I can do. You know, you just got to let them play through some of that. So, um, but it's a challenge. It's a, it's a real challenge. I think a lot of what I've learned in our players and refs have said this to me, which you forget is you read lips a lot. Yeah. You know, when you're vocalizing you without the lips, then it's really a challenge. Yeah. It's just muffled noise. Even no matter what type of voice you have, it's muffled and they can't read your lips. Officials have said that to me. Players have said that to me as well. Even when I'm at a close distance in a huddle with it, with our team, if they can't read my lips and there's music and it's loud at times, they're having trouble yeah. there as well. So that's, that's how the refs know who to tee up by reading lips. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe, te- <laughs> maybe tees are down this year because of, I don't know if tees are down. I, I, I'm assuming tees coaches, technical fouls are down this year because they can't read lips or you can't, they can't understand. They can't comprehend without seeing the lips. Right. Yeah, and it's not as dramatic without the lip. You know, it's like yeah, it's not that, the that, same. Even though, even though if I, I hear, I may hear an f bomb. It's not the same without sort of the the face and the yeah the lip read, right? You furrowed your eyebrows a little too strong there. That's a technical. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The eyes, the eyes were squinting too much. Oh man! All right, coach. I I, I told Tom I'm I'm entering into shenanigans territory now with some of my questions. So let's start right here. You were at uh, University of San Diego with our friend uh, Fizz. Uh, I want to hear a story about Fizz because Fizz has always been the cool guy, right? Fizz from 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 uh, LA, from Inglewood, right? Cool Fizz. I want you to give me a story of young Fizz at a moment when he wasn't so cool. Ooh, my Fizz story. <laughs> There's a lot of Fizz stories. I I don't know where to go with this. I what. What rating is this? But oh, this is um, yeah, yeah, everything. Yeah, no, okay. So uh, you know, he's an he's an assistant coach. First of all, I love his, and he's he's a mentor. He's a friend. (laughs) Here we go. (laughs) We all love. We all love. We all love him. But you know, he was an. It was his first year as an assistant coach. So I was playing, um, and we had a big guy that we were running sprints. Remember. Fartlicks. Do you guys remember Fartlicks running on the, you guys remember those Uh, on, it was on a a soccer field. You're running these lengths on soccer fields. That was the name we had. Anyway, uh, we, we were conditioning out on the soccer field and one of our big guys just wasn't bringing it. You know, he was Mm -hmm. keeping the pack back and he was trying to get out of it. And anyway, uh, we stopped and, you know, I think his name was Jeff Knoll, big Jeff Knoll, seven footer and Fizz, you know, it was a Fizz went LA on him, you know, or (laughs) what what do you call that? I mean, what do you call What do you call that? He went Englewood. He went Englewood on him. He went Englewood on him. He went Englewood on him. And, you know, coach, it was coach and player and Fizz was not backing down, you know? And so we had a little toe to toe, set the tone for the year conditioning right on the field and uh from then on out you know nobody messed with fizz after that i could say that you gotta so, you gotta give me a you gotta give me a better sir because that still yeah, makes I mean, fizz cool yeah like that, that, that's the thing is fizz is fizz untouchable is cool like, yeah no one, kinda, I, I need a, like one or where fizz kind of like uh you know accidentally stepped on a banana peel and slipped in front of everybody it's not, i need one of those ones where the yeah. cool of fizz got broken the cool of fizz yeah Man. 
you should have warned me on that one. I, I you know, this <laughs> is cool. Tough. I, 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 I got nothing for that for you on that one. I, I'm sure I, I'll I, find I it one day. <laughs> dig in a little deeper. So, uh, okay, if I got one, I'll send it your way. <laughs> okay, well, let, let me give you a different one then. Uh, you uh, coached alongside my buddy Igor Kokoshkov, and Igor is known. Tom, I don't know. He's known for saying some of the most hysterical things, but deadpan. So a lot of times he'll be joking, and everyone in the room will not know. I remember, for instance, I'll give you a great example. We were summer league. He was coaching the summer league team. This is in Phoenix, and I can't remember who we were playing, but we were beating the crap. We were like sixty to twenty-five or something was a halftime score, and Igor walks into the locker room. This is in Thomas and Mac. And I, he walks in deadpan and says, that effort wasn't good enough. I'm going to recommend to the general manager we don't bring any of you guys back. And everybody in the room looked like they were got to cry. And I had to be like, guys, he's kidding. <laughs> and, and everyone kind of laughed. And, but that's Igor. Like he, he's Because I think the combination of the accent and just that deadpan look, he's just able to kind of communicate. You know, no, you're right. It's the accent, the accent for sure. That that definitely he, he throws you for a loop there. Yeah. So, so my question to you is: Give me an example of a time that Igor was joking, but you took him seriously. Because it's happened. Ooh. Everyone's got an example of that one. Ooh, that's this a good one. Uh, this isn't like looking for uncool fizz. This one is easy. This is this is a softball. Like a moment yeah, where Igor. Igor just made you crack. He up. got you. He yeah. got you. But he got you. That like. For a second there, he had you going. Well, I guess, golly, we weren't together that long, but I love the guy. And so I had taken over in Orlando, right? So I'm mm-hmm. the interim interim in Orlando, and, you know, we're trying to get ready. And the one of the funniest things, so I didn't know him that well. So he comes in. We're going through offense at the time. You know he's an offensive mind, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Coach, I don't know. You know, this is my first time doing this. And, you know, we're going through all the plays. And he's been, you know, he's been great about it. He's taken me through different options. And I like this for our team. And this is where we can get better. And then he goes, but you know what, Coach? I don't think we can win a game. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> it, was like That's that. it. It was one of those – you know, I thought he was serious. Yeah, we're, we're you, you know we're like we're like going, we're, going, we're in it. We're, we're in it. I'm like, okay, we can score. We're, okay, this is where we can do it. We got all these you know different you know different plans and plays on the board, and we're going to go through this guy and Vucevic and this, and and then he he you know he looks over at me and he's like, but you know what, coach, I don't think we can win a game. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and I yeah. go. And he had me for a minute, you know, I, and he starts laughing and cracking up. Uh, that's probably the closest thing I can give you. That's one of my memories that's, that's, of him. Perfect. That's, per- that, that's, that's him right there. Tom, the first time I met Igor, it was at, at Summer League when we just hired him. He says, what are you doing for lunch? And I said, nothing. He's like, come, we're going, takes me to a raw vegan place. I've never heard of raw vegan in my life. I barely knew what vegan was. Raw vegan means they don't even use heat to cook anything. Everything is made at room temperature. So wow. okay. they, they, they find a way. They, they bake a cake without baking it. So we go there, <laughs> and it's like everything is kind of cold or whatever, and it's just really weird. I'm like, wow, our new European assistant coach is a real health nut. He's eating raw vegan food. So I'm like, all right, cool. The next night he says, 
what are you doing for dinner? Let's go to dinner. You know, you never say no to a free dinner when you, when you work for, you're like, oh, cool. And I'm thinking, uh, what other vegan place are we going to go? He takes us to this uh, Serbian restaurant. And it was, the dish was like a, a chicken stuffed inside a rabbit, stuffed inside of a sheep, stuffed inside of a cow. And, and I'm just like, who are you, man? Like, <laughs> like one day he's like the healthiest, cleanest eating guy. And the next day it's like everything on this table must have died for us yes. to eat. Yes. But that, that's Igor, man. He's, he's a one of a kind character like and that. And his coffee. You can't forget his coffee. Oh, Gotta man. have the coffee. Oh, man. <laughs> What is coffee, it like a, a thick coffee, like a Turkish coffee, Greek coffee? Uh, he just constantly, I mean, he, he loves the coffee. I mean, he's okay. got to have the coffee. And then I think later in the day it becomes espresso, right? I think yes. maybe the morning's stronger. And then I think as the, the, the uh, day goes, it becomes espresso. But, so but light, he, light, lighter as we go, you know? Get a little but bit he's lighter still, as we go. But he's still, the funny thing is, he's still the same kind of like even keeled. You would think yeah. someone like that would be wired and jittery. Jolting. Jolting. Not at yeah. all. That's right. All right. Here's the last shenanigan question I had. We talked about it before the show, I mean. Yeah. Were you ever Jimmy Borrego? No. Were you I always James? Person. Were you Jim? So back, so back in the day, I was always James in Albuquerque. It was always James. Then when I went to uh, San Diego, Fizz and everybody, I had probably six nicknames. I became JB, Serpent. Uh, Ray, you know, the Ray Romano started there. Ross from oh. Friends, Ray oh, no. Romano, Ross from Friends, um, Serpent. I guess it, it was my game, that's all I could do. You know, I was like a serpent down there on the block. Uh, Badger, they called me the Badger, and you can check these with Fizz. Fizz had them, you know, Fizz was a part of creating a lot of these. And then, but in Albuquerque High School, it was it was James, it was or Borrego or James, take your pick, right? Um, but then when I got to San Antonio, then it became JB. And now when people call me James, it's like, yeah, who's that? you know, my <laughs> wife calls me James, uh, my friends back, you know, my Albuquerque crew still calls me James, but everybody now it's JB. I kind of feel like Jimmy's are cooler. Like there's the, how, how many Jimmy's do you know that are not cool? I know. Like, what, don't I you want to be known as a Jimmy Borrego? Nobody, I don't know. I don't yeah, I think it's a great basketball name too, don't you think? Isn't it Jimmy yeah, like uh, Jimmy B? Jimmy you know? Butler. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Jim, I mean, you got like uh, Jimmy Hendrix, Jimmy Butler, yeah. like the 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 guy I grew up with who was all state broke every like football record. Um, one of my best friends, Jimmy Hughes. Like, if he was James Hughes, I don't think he's twenty percent as good. Jimmy breaks high school records for sure. Jim, <laughs> like Jimmy. someone named Jimmy. Jimmy's buckets, right? It's like Jimmy buckets. That's right. Yeah. You know, I, I probably would have been a better player had they gone with Jimmy instead of James. <laughs> James right? too formal. It's it's just too formal, you know. But it's, but coaching, you're better off being James. Uh, As a coach, you're better off being James. And Jimmy, Jimmy's a little, other than Jimmy Johnson, I don't think it works anywhere else. Yeah, no, you're Wait, right. Jimmy Johnson. Then there's a NASCAR dude, right? Isn't he Jimmy Johnson? He's not. But he's not coaching. No, I'm talking about like to coach. You're saying, but James you, you, Johnson, you, you, he's not getting that Lowe's car dealership like car yeah. sponsorship if he's James but I think, Johnson. But but James oh. Johnson, the player, is you actually don't want to mess with Jason. <laughs> you know, I'm as a James delivers like a level of like I'm not messing with that guy. So 
I think it's it's perfect for your your chosen profession, Coach. He's like Brother Mazzone in The Wire, where like he wears the button up tie, the tie, but you're like, I, you don't mess with Brother Mazzone. Like James Johnson, you do not mess up with that James. Like there's a there's a little bit of gravitas there. Yeah, James Naismith. We're not playing a game that Jimmy Naismith made up. That's that, true. That's, some, that's being played in someone's backyard. James Naismith. Okay, that's true. Give me give me the rules. So it's too late for Jimmy, for you, Coach. I think it's too late. I think yeah. it's too late, Jimmy. I think I think I think that time has passed. It is now James and to Ray. most of you, JB. The Ray thing, Ray. man. Ray I didn't know about this. Back. I mean, I didn't know about this with with Coach, like the What's whole that? Ray Romano thing. It's a it's a revelation. <laughs> yeah, it's a little eerie sometimes when I see that guy on TV. You know, I watch some of the reruns now and then. I go, whoa, I, I get it. I'm like, man. But ah, no, the, man. The, the, no, the current no, Ray Romano, <laughs> not, not not the current Ray. He, he's <laughs> not the current Ray. Old Ray. Do you know Ish Smith watches Everybody Loves Raymond before like every game? Does he really? Didn't know that. Yeah, it's a great fact from uh from from the Ish Smith, <laughs> the Ish Smith uh at the uh the Wake Forest the the archives back. Yeah, the, well, Ish is my guy back from from college um i could go all day about about weight weight guys in the nba right now but um <laughs> thank god we're out of time <laughs> we're out of time look at that look at that before i do a sermon on uh al farouk aminu um all right thanks guys jb ray uh serpent coach serpent. badger badger ross is the one i would have fought somebody i would have fought fizz on that one <laughs> okay where are you from <laughs> you're not calling me ross <laughs> uh, amazing uh and, and best of luck at your next game yeah. whenever that might be uh, i think it's right now it's friday but enjoy this time this break and thank game. you appreciate it guys enjoy